You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. On today's episode, we are interviewing Richard Cooper. Maybe you've heard of him. He's got a big YouTube channel. He gives advice to men on how to live a great life. And he does focus a lot on the dating, marriage, and relationship realm. He's uh, what you would consider a man who is subscribed to the red pill. Uh, red pill is this idea that you're going to hear about on this episode, this idea of kind of hearing the truth about how love works, how marriage works, how women actually are. It's like this whole reality of like, no, this is how women actually are. And this is what's driving them biologically. And so he discusses a lot of that. And we're going to be talking about his new book that he just came out with. And what's really interesting and something I really like is that he definitely has a long list of women that you need to avoid. Okay, Women that are not good for you. And really understanding why some of these women are not going to be good for you to avoid any kind of drama in your life. So we're going to dive deep into that and some other things here. It was very enjoyable interviewing him. He looks at the world in a very logical standpoint and has a lot to say in terms of why you need to pick the right woman and why it should be an important choice and to not mess around here. And we even dive deep a little bit into the red pill theory and into MGTOW. If you don't know what that is, you're going to find out all about it. Some things might shock you. Some things might depress you. Some things might give you some aha moments. There's going to be a lot of those on this episode with my interview with Richard Cooper. So why don't we just dive right in? Here it is, my interview with Richard. Enjoy. Hey, Richard, good to have you on the podcast. How's it going, man? How you doing, Trip? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. So maybe tell the guys a little bit about yourself. You've been doing your YouTube channel for quite a bit now. Is that where you started with all this advice or were you doing things before then? What's your story? Um, well, I started out as an entrepreneur. I mean, I, I really had no interest in doing anything on YouTube, to be perfectly honest with you. I've been, I've been running my own business in the uh, financial services space since about 2003. And uh, about 2013 or so, roughly 10 years later, I started to feel like I had had enough of what I was doing. And I didn't like the way the industry was turning. Uh, so I was looking to create a new passion for myself. And that started with a YouTube channel that I've had since May 23rd, 2014 now, if I remember. But the premise was interview friends in their success ride. So entrepreneurs in their fast cars, basically. Ran out of friends with cool cars pretty quickly and started talking about a few other concepts and ideas. And it just so happened around that time that people were asking me, to talk about stuff around the sexual marketplace and women. There wasn't a whole lot of interest, believe it or not, around entrepreneurship or how to hire people or how to use lawyers in your business. People started asking me for feedback and ideas on, on things like, hey, Rich, can you do a video on women not to date? And I had a lot of experience with that. So I kind of started talking about that. And uh, it was around the same time that I had broken up with the single mommy that I dated for a few years after my divorce. And uh, that kind of red-pilled me and sent me down this rabbit hole of The Rational Male and a bunch of other very interesting books into evolution psychology and everything kind of in and around that. So 
that's really what my channel's turned into is uh, more of like a how to become a better version of yourself guys channel. Sure. Yeah. And so you talk about this idea of, of red pill, meaning the truth and this idea of being unplugged, kind of like unplugged from the matrix, the metaphor of just seeing how things really are. Can you explain a little bit about that? Like, what does that mean exactly? Because, you know, there's some guys, I know what that means, but, you know, guys listening might be like, red pill, unplugged, truth. What the, what's going on? (laughs) What's this all about? So maybe you can explain that because I think that's a good foundation into other questions I have for you and and your theories on things. Yeah, hundred percent. So, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. Like most men today are sent off into society with a broken belief system, which is what they use to make choices that uh, get them fairly terrible results. Um, I mean, if you're old enough, you know, somebody that's been through the divorce grinder and they've probably shared some stories about how fathers get treated. You know, you've heard about this recent phenomenon the last few years, Me Too where a lot of women have either falsely or legitimately alleged that um, something happened to them. But it seems like for the most part, they seem to be illegitimate claims. So we're in a world today where it's, you know, believe all women, bend the knee so women can become more, so men can become less. Uh, We see this in this, you know, this new phenomenon with OnlyFans. Like you can have a 37-year-old woman with three kids in tow from her marriage and she's making $50,000 a month on OnlyFans selling pictures basically of a five. I mean, she's not that attractive to men that essentially are thirsty betas. Like they, they have a massive appetite for attention and the attention of women and they'll go and throw $20 a month. And it's, it's not five or 10 of them. It's, it's, it's quite a lot. So we live in a world today that Men don't really know how to operate in, and in fairness, they haven't been given the right tools. You know, they've been lied to most of life. We sat around watching Disney movies growing up, thinking, you know, if you just do the right thing and treat her right, and you know, she'll stick around forever. And it's even in marriage vows, right? You know, till death do us part, and richer or poorer, and uh, sickness or in health, and blah 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 blah. And guys take that hook, line, and sinker. Yet at the end of the day, the biggest search term that you'll find on Google for married guys is, "How do I get my wife to have sex with me?" So. Most guys that live in today's world, they don't get the greatest results simply because of what they've been told as they were growing up. It's just everywhere. The inputs came from media, government, schooling, religion. I mean, you go back to sitcoms when we were kids, like when I was watching the Cosby kids, you know, the Bill Cosby show or Home Improvement, the fathers are always portrayed as these bumbling morons that were the butt of all jokes. That's not the way the world works. That's not what drives arousal with women. There's a totally different set of rules that you have to get your head around, which kind of leads you to, the red pill, which is really just the theme from the matrix where, you know, if you take the blue pill, then you kind of go back to sleep and you kind of sleepwalk through the rest of your life like everybody else. Or if you take the red pill, then you see things for what they really are and you start to understand the code and the matrix and the way the world really works. Are you married? I divorced. I got uh, divorced around 2012 or so. Do you think you'll ever marry again? Never. There's absolutely nothing in marriage for men today. It's interesting because... You know, the purpose of us being here is to scatter seed. Like, that's why we're on this planet. So, men have an innate desire to reproduce and have children and sire children of their own. And of course, women have the same desire. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is when you start to live in a way that invites the state into your house to decide what happens to your assets, the raising of your children, most guys don't know what they're walking into. And it's a slaughterhouse. And I learned, like, in the intro of my book, you know, for example, The Unplugged Alpha. You know, I talk about how 
that was the starting of the unplugging process for me from the lies was when I started to go through the divorce machine, I got off this one call with my lawyer and he said to me, um, you don't want to go to court, Rich, because if you do, you're going to lose. I was like, well, what do you mean? Why would I lose? Like, hasn't, like, isn't the world equal? Hasn't, hasn't feminine, hasn't feminism leveled the playing field and make it, made it good for everybody now? But it, you know, he basically said, look, if you have the penis and you go to court, you're going to lose. And, uh, that was like taking a frying pan to the forehead moment for me. So what do you tell guys to do? Do you tell them don't get married? Do, do you like say like you should not get married? I would uh, say... What, what do you tell guys they should do when it comes to like dating and, uh, and, and dating and women? Well, I think that you should do what you feel is right for you at the end of the day. But when it comes to if you want to have kids, you can have kids and not get married. I mean, if you go back to the history of the origins of marriage, there's this author, Stephanie Kuntz, a researcher that did a lot of... Um, that collected a lot of data from journals, from court records, from uh, city councils over hundreds of years. And the origins of marriage had nothing to do with love. It was all about the acquisition of in-laws. It was about, you know, I've got this farm, these oxen and these chickens, and you bring to this table. Let's run this together as a family. We'll make some babies and they'll help us run the farm. And that was pretty much it. And even back in those days, if there was a breakup in the relationship, often the guy would keep the kids and all the assets and she would end up going back to her family or maybe working in a brothel. She didn't have a lot of options back then. But a lot of that's changed over you know, the last hundred years or so. And these new waves of feminism have really turned the tables around and made it more or less you know, equal for women a long, long time ago. But it didn't stop there. It just kept going and it turned itself into a supremacy movement that made it super hostile for men, more, more specifically fathers, when it comes to untying the knot. So what about you then in all of this? So you're not going to get married again. Do you still sleep with women? Do you get into relationships? Oh, yeah, of course, dude. I'm a man, of course. Women? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm in a long-term relationship. We don't live together. I'm still very fond of women. Like I don't hold any of this against them. I mean, you know, given the circumstances, if I was a chick, I'd probably behave the exact same way. So you can't blame them for behaving the way that they uh, do. I mean, if you look at the code in the matrix, you know, for example, like if you look at the way that family law is written and the way that it's put together, the way that the state runs it is the government is essentially big daddy now. They're the head of the household. There was a time hundreds of years ago where men were the head of the household and they had responsibility to their family, but they also had full authority over their family. Today, men live in a world where they still have responsibility, but they have zero authority over family. Women and the state, meaning the government, are now the head of the household. So if you decide to get married in the conventional sense, or if you live in a way that the state views as a uh, common law marriage, you're basically inviting the state into your house to decide what happens to your money and your kids if things don't work out. So that's why I'm not fond of marriage in its current uh, format. I'm not opposed to you know being with women, dating with women. I'm not even opposed to having children with women. There are certain things that you can do to minimize the risk and limit yourself to certain exposures. But um, yeah, it's it's just part of human nature. You just have to accept it for what it is. Now, what about the guys who kind of take it to the other extreme where they're like, well, this is ridiculous. It makes them dislike women because of their nature. And they go into the MGTOW or men going their own way. What do you say to guys with that? Like, Do you think that that's a a safe way to go about it, this MGTOW? Or do you think it's unhealthy? Where do you put people who want to go to that extreme? 
I know you um, talk about that in your book quite a bit in, in chapter 14. Yeah, I got an entire chapter dedicated to MGTOW and some of the darker areas of that space, you know, like the black pill. Listen, like the whole notion of men going their own way, like some guys would argue that I'm a MGTOW, right? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I don't associate with the acronym or any of those things. But there are men that have chosen to essentially put themselves first. And they've looked at the risk profile and they've said, okay, here's all the problems of the world today. And I agree with them. Like, I agree with the observations. I just don't agree with the response mechanism. Like, you'll hear things like, oh, we need to repeal the 19th Amendment, which would essentially take away women's voting rights. And that's not going to happen anytime soon. I mean, if you think that that's a solution to the modern problem that we live in today, it's a really bad way, in my view anyway, to view the world is basically looking for. It almost feels like these MGTOW black pill guys are either looking for a time machine or some kind of device that would teleport them to like a parallel dimension that doesn't exist or never existed in history, if that makes sense. What but is black pill exactly? It's almost like a nihilistic retirement towards this like notion that it's hopeless. If you're not good enough looking, it's hopeless. If you're not six foot tall or taller, it's hopeless. If you're not Caucasian, it's hopeless. If you don't make a million dollars a year, you're hopeless, buddy. So, you know, it's more of a quitter's mindset, in my view. And I'm not fond of, um, you know, giving up and quitting. You know, as an entrepreneur and a guy that's dealt with problems my entire life, one of the skills, like one of the tools that I've developed in my own toolbox is I need to be able to solve problems. So that's what makes entrepreneurs, you know, successful is being able to adapt, see what the landscape looks like, and then respond in it in a way that's going to serve them. But the whole notion of the MGTOW black pill uh, sphere is, is basically just quit, just stay away from women. But it's really bizarre because they spend an awful lot of time talking about women or talking about other people that are successful with women. So it's really just a resignation to quitting you know, more than anything. It's just, it's not worth it. I'm just going to stay over here and quit. Only they never really stay there and quit and just be quiet. They, they spend a lot of time pointing and sputtering at the world, blaming women for their problem, blaming guys that are successful to women, you know, for the problems that they have. So it's just not a good place to be. I mean, you can visit MGTOW town, you know, for a little bit. If you haven't had the greatest experience with women, maybe you had your heart broken, maybe you went through the divorce machine and you want to take a break from dating or anything like that. Cool. Do it for a bit. But if you're quitting on life, I don't think that's a good way to live in my view. And I get into all the yeah. reasons why in that chapter in the book. It, it, it's seemingly beta in my, in my eyes too, just the idea of giving up and, and all that. But Yeah, it's a um, quitter's mindset for sure. Yeah. So interesting. Okay, cool. So, so let's rewind a little bit. So, okay, you gave us a little bit of, of your background here. Why did you decide to write this book? Like, What's your purpose in, in doing this? I started this project about three years ago. And... Even at that time, like I was spending a lot of time doing one-on-one consults with guys. So one of the things that happens often when you run a YouTube channel, I mean, you probably get this too, is you get emails from guys that are like, hey, this is my problem. You know, you know, can you help me out? What do I do with this? And how do I solve that? Because they start to rely on you or they view your opinion as one of an expert. And I happen to have a lot of experience with things you know, that I talk about, which is why I share the ideas around them. So people started booking my time. And I started keeping copious notes like, as of today's date, I mean, we're talking December 2020, I've got well over a thousand one-on-one consults under, under my belt. Plus, I've done a lot of group sessions. I do a lot of live broadcasts on my channel and I deal with a lot of Q&A. So I've got copious notes around a, a lot of the struggles that men run into when it comes to life. And it seems to almost always orbit around bad choices with women for some reason. 
We just don't know how to set firm boundaries. We don't know how to say no. We don't know how to put ourselves first. So the whole point of the book really is it's not really a dating book. It's, it's a book about understanding the sexual marketplace, what drives attraction, desire between men and women, and how guys can get better results for themselves with women and in life by making better choices and allowing better women into their inner circle and keeping the ones that are not a good idea to invite into your inner circle at arm's length or further away. Right. Got 20 red flags here in chapter four. I'm really excited. There's a few in here I definitely want to go into and, and agree with most of them. And some I'm just like, hmm, I want to hear more about that and learn more about that. Yeah. Um, the, one, one chapter here, and this is something I really enjoy talking about on my end and on my podcast and on my YouTube channel, this idea of interest and her showing interest. You talk about that in chapter three, why genuine burning desire matters. I'd love to hear this from you. Tell us a little bit about that. So why does that matter, first yeah. of all? And then how do we determine her interest? So it matters because if you're going to chase women that don't have genuine burning desire for you, you're just going to get frustrated. You've probably seen this happen a few times by now. And I share these often on social media because I see these almost daily now. People either DM them or I've got my men's community where they're sharing these ideas. And they'll be like, Hey guys, can you help me out with this field report? You know, here's a screenshot of our text conversation. Where did I go wrong? And it's, it's always like very needy behavior, chasing her down, like asking her three, four, five questions. She's given one word answers. He says, Hey, let's get together. And, you know, she says, Well, maybe some other time. And he's like, Well, let me get your number and I'll text you later. She's like, I just don't give out my number to strangers, you know, like typical stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know, I cover this in the book as well, is women will break rules for men they deem to be alpha and they'll make them for men that they deem to be beta. So when you're on a dating app, I mean, the whole point of the dating app is you match, you start exchanging some messages, and then you meet up. And you want to get her number so you can meet up so you can either hop on a call and hear her voice to make sure she doesn't sound like Janice from Friends or she's annoying or something. And she, of course, wants to hear more about you and you kind of, you know, in case you need to connect or schedule the date. It's a lot easier doing it that way via text or on the phone versus, you know, versus an app. But women will routinely tell men to essentially pound sand in a nice way, but they'll be more than willing to give their attention or give their phone number or to go out on a date with a guy that they deem to be higher value that she has genuine burning desire for. So a lot of guys get super frustrated chasing women that don't have genuine desire for them. And that's usually what sends them kind of into these like MGTOW black pill spheres is they just don't understand what drives desire and they get frustrated thinking, well, my mom said that I should just be myself. So I'm being myself. Why, why don't these girls like me? You know, I'm a great catch. I have a good job and blah, 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 blah. Insert whatever rationalization they've got going on in their head. But at the end of the day, who cares? If she doesn't dig your vibe, she doesn't dig your vibe. You're not going to force her to like you. You know, it's got to be genuine burning desire. You can't force it upon her. So that's why it's important. What was the second part to the question? The second part was, how do you determine her interest or how do you know she's interested? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, she will tell you by the way that she is going to respond to you. And I break this down again in the book in the three different segments. So on a scale of one to 10, uh, with 10 being genuine burning desire, like, you know, she's ready to come over right now and hook up and rip her clothes off 20 minutes after she walks in the door versus one, she couldn't care. Like, if you're on fire and she had a glass of water in her hand, she'd just walk away and drink it. She just wouldn't even give you the time of day. So 
you've got to understand that there's a scale in which you've got to evaluate the level of desire she's got for you as a guy. A nine or a 10 is genuine burning desire, right? So what that looks like is you send her a message, hey, Jill, love your pictures. Would you like to grab a coffee? And her response would be something like, absolutely love this third picture. I dig your bio. Here's my number. Text me. That would be genuine burning desire. She's going to show up for the date on time. She's not going to reschedule. She's going to have makeup on. She's going to look pretty. You know, she'll be asking you questions. She might even text you in advance. She might send you provocative photos in advance or after the date. She's definitely going to want to get together after that date and see you again and again. It's going to be obvious to you. It's going to be like taking a frying pan to the forehead. The ones that are indifferent is where most guys fall into the category. So somewhere between six and seven would be indifference for you, meaning they've got better options, but they're still talking to you in case they don't pan out. Or in case they think in their head that maybe they misjudged you and they actually do have genuine burning desire and you got crap photos or a crap bio or something like that. So they'll just kind of keep you on the back burner. Like you're the uh, betas in waiting, you know, basically. So she'll, she'll make you wait. You know, she'll say, yeah, I don't give my numbers out to guys unless I know who they are or, you know, maybe next week or they'll reschedule. Or if they do schedule a date and they do show up and they don't have like genuine burning desire and they're more indifferent for you, they might show up kind of tied into like another event they've got for the day. Like they went for a run and then she'll say, well, I'm going to go for a run. So meet me at 11 o'clock when I'm done the run at this coffee shop. And she shows up all sweaty and her running out. Yeah. Whatever is easy for her. Yeah. Whatever is easy or convenient. She'll often make guys come to her neighborhood. So if there's like a 40 minute drive between the two of you, guys will end up going to her front door or they'll show up at a time that's convenient for her versus genuine burning desire. Like she'll literally come to your front door. She might even come to your house on the first date for a hookup. That's what genuine burning desire looks like. So there's scale, there's a spectrum to it. And then the ones that don't care about you, the ones that have no desire whatsoever, they won't respond to your messages. They won't set up a date. They'll, you know, they'll block you. They'll ghost you. All those things start to happen. So do you talk about how to get them to have a burning desire for you? Because everything like this sounds pretty easy. You filter for the women who are interested. And if they're not interested, based on what you're saying here, then you move on to someone else. But I find that guys more have the trouble with getting to the point where they do have that burning desire. Do you talk about that at all? You can't manufacture it. I talk in the book a lot in the looks, money, game, status chapter and how to use online dating apps. So there's a few chapters dedicated to attraction. And see, the problem that most guys have is, again, you know, because of societal conditioning, because I mean, 43% of men today are raised in single parent households, which means they're raised by single moms, you know, for the most part. So they don't have a strong masculine, virtuous male role model in their household. And that's not entirely their fault, but as they become an adult, They've got 19, 20 years of programming as they kind of move out in society. If they've heard their entire life just, you know, become less so women can become more, or, you know, they've been raised by a feminist mother or they're pretty much betatized and they don't understand what drives attraction with women, they're not going to get those great results. So they got to start doing some work on themselves. Like, what do women like? Well, they like strong masculine men that have a purpose in life, that chase excellence, not women that don't give away free attention you know, to women, that reserve their attention um, only when they're getting something in exchange for it. They like guys that kind of play a little bit hard to get. They like big, strong alpha dudes. You know, One of the things that I talk about in the book is you can control the optics of what you look like. You know, A V-taper, which is basically something you'll find on every swimmer's body, which is the golden ratio, 1.62 shoulder to waist ratio, you'll find that on a swimmer's body. 
Women don't want to be with a bodybuilder. They also don't want to be with a fat, scrawny loser either that sits around playing video games all day. They admire men that are on a purpose in life that are giants. And not, I'm not talking about physically imposing giants, but are doing big things for themselves. So I talk a lot about why looks, money, status, and game all matter. And then how you can yeah tap into that. Yeah, how you can optimize it and what they're looking for. And I mean, you know, to kind of give a little bit more away on this. Um, so all of the data from uh, dating apps, swiping apps, it's all been collected over the years. Like it's it's readily available now. So I so I've got lots of that information in the books in the chapter. But we know that women swipe right on the top twenty percent of men. So again, let's take a one to ten scale, with ten being a perfect alpha male and one being the absolute you know, pathetic beta loser that's on the other end of the spectrum. The women on dating apps and you know, swiping apps will swipe right only on the top 20%. So we're talking eight, nines, and tens, basically. right? Now, you'd think that eights, nines, and ten women are swiping right on the eights, nines, and tens men, but it's actually threes and hires on the women's side of the scale. So a three legitimately thinks that, that she deserves to be with an eight, nine, or a ten. This is the behavior that women exhibit using dating apps. This is not made up. This is not, you know, just Rich's opinion or anything like that. This is how women use dating apps. So if you're a guy and, you know, you take a good look at yourself and you say, okay, well, my value is a six out of 10. I know I can increase myself in these areas and become more valuable myself. You're really going to have a very bad experience if you're not close to the best version of yourself using dating apps. And that's why these guys get super frustrated because women have this entitled, like, See, all that women have to do is download an app like Instagram, post a provocative picture of themselves with the right angle and the, you know, the good lighting and a nice push-up bra and the right outfit and all that sort of stuff. And they will get lots of attention from men. They'll get lots of likes, lots of comments, thirsty betas sliding into their DM. Maybe some alphas will be like, hey, girl, what are you up to? And they get lots of easy attention. So even a, even a five will get lots of attention from men. So they're kind of spoiled for choice, you know? We live in an environment today where women are are almost overly entitled, and you can't blame them because you know we've you know we've facilitated it with today's world. Yeah, I know that's interesting. I mean, oh, and and you're saying on the other end, where a guy who I don't know would be considered an eight or lower doesn't even get close to half the attention that like a five would on the female scale. Yeah, I tell guys straight up, look, you know, if you take a good look at yourself and you'd rate yourself as a 7 or lower, like if you're a 7, you can probably get some better photography and kind of level up to the next round. But most guys that are like a 7, 6, 5 or lower, don't even bother with online dating. You know, work on yourself. Forget about women. You know, if you're not, you know, if you're working part-time or you don't have a job or you're on government assistance or you're fat, you sit around all day playing video games with Cheeto dust on your chin. You're just not going to get great results. It doesn't matter if your mom told you, you know, your entire life, just be yourself, Billy. Women don't care. One of the strong catchphrases that I've used in the book and many times on my channel is women don't care about your struggles in life. They hang out at the finish line and they pick the winner. This is, this is 100% true and accurate if you look at female nature and women's behavior when it comes to mate selection. Women don't have time to waste their sexuality on guys that are not high enough value because Historically speaking, if they did in the past, they just wouldn't survive. You know, you go back a thousand years, women would not survive if if they chose to mate with a fat loser from the tribe that sat around all day and had no resources, didn't know how to hunt, didn't know how to provision, provide, you know, protect the tribe or any of those things. She would die. You know, her and her children would die. So 
It's not that they're, you know, women are mean or anything like that. It's, it's just, it's, it's part of their firmware. It's hardwired into their DNA to mate select for the best possible male that they can invite into their own lives, right? Don't men do that too? Aren't we doing that on some level also? Like we want the hot girls. We yeah. want the girls we find physically attractive. We're, we're called, you know, sometimes by women shallow, which is kind of what almost what we're saying on our <laughs> end. We're calling women that in their, in their realm. So it's like, aren't we doing that too? Or do you believe that men are less picky than women? Yeah, there's a lot to unplug there, a lot to deal with there. So let's deal with the shallow part first, because women often point and sputter at men and say, how dare you exclude single mothers you know, from your dating repertoire? Like, Why would you turn down a woman just because she has another man's kid in tow? Sometimes it's two men's kids in tow. Sometimes it's three, sometimes from different fathers. But how dare you say no to a single mother, right? She deserves love and attention and hot dudes as well, too. Well, okay, here's the thing about that. I mean, if you take a look at their swiping behaviors on dating apps, women that are threes are only swiping right on eights. So one of the things that you have to understand as a guy is you have to stop listening to what women say. You have to stop paying attention to their shaming tactics and start paying attention to their behaviors because their behaviors are often far, far different from what they're saying. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with a guy, you know, by the way, not inviting a single mom into his household. And I get into why men should avoid dating or dealing with single mothers in the book in an entire chapter, but you've got to set those firm boundaries. So what was the other, other part of the question you're also asking so, about? Like, don't yeah, men do that too? Yeah. Don't we do that as well? Yeah. You know, I mean, aren't, aren't we all doing that? Yeah. So men's... Trying to find the best mate of the highest value. Aren't correct, we correct. swiping on the hottest girls, or if a girl is faking it on a profile, well, to our minds, we don't know that. We think she's physically attractive. So those are the ones that we're picking. Right. So So, yeah. So I mean, like the narrative out there, generally speaking, is is that guys tend to subscribe to a female first primary social order. And I start the book in that chapter, kind of getting into why that is. But by default, men are becoming more feminized over time, we know that male testosterone levels have dropped significantly over the last thousand years. So we as men are starting to behave more like dysfunctional women, you know, if I can kind of put it that way. You know, so we automatically default to the female experience. So, well, if women do it, then men do it too. But men do it, men have a different sexual strategy than women. So let's talk about that. So the female sexual strategy is open hypergamy, which basically is the act of dating or marrying up on the socioeconomic scale. One of the things that I learned from my lawyer when I was going through divorce is that women don't marry down, usually. On a balance of probabilities, it's, you know, she's a hairdresser. She works at the front desk at reception at the insurance company. She runs a small nail salon. And then she gets with Steve, who's the VP of the accounting department, or Kevin, who's the head of the sales team, right? And these guys are making quarter million dollars a year and she's making thirty, forty thousand dollars a year. So that's essentially what open hypergamy is, is women are openly saying, I want the highest value guy that I can get, which ties into his looks. Is he, you know, is he an alpha Chad, you know, sort of looking guy? Does he have status on the sexual marketplace? Do people look towards him as a top shelf man? Because back a thousand years ago, the guy of status in the tribe would be the one that women would want to be with, you know, sort of thing. So we got looks, status, we got money, right? You know. Can this guy make it rain? Because financial resources are useful in a long-term relationship, especially if you're going to have kids, if you're going to get married to women. So does money matter? Of course. So women are basically looking for the highest value guy that they can get. 
Guys, on the other hand, our sexual strategy is unlimited access to unlimited women. It's the reason why we make tens of millions of sperm every single month, but women only drop one egg, right? Women can only get pregnant once a month, but men can knock up you know, as many women as he sleeps with while they're ovulating. It's why throughout history, some of the highest value men, we can go to uh, as recent as 300 years ago, I think his name was Ishmael the Bloodthirsty was his nickname, but he was a uh, sultan from Morocco. And he sired, uh, I believe the Guinness Book of World Records says something like 1,137 children. He had 14 wives, 800 concubines, and each one of these wives and, and concubines were all protected by eunuchs. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, Game of Thrones, it's a man that has no genitalia. They're basically sexless. So women are more than happy to share a high-value alpha. In fact, they'd rather do that than be straddled with a faithful loser. So they, so they do have a different sexual strategy than men. Men would love to sleep with as many women as possible. In today's world, it's frowned so upon. So we can be less picky in a sense. What's that? We can be we can be less picky in a sense. Well, men are success saying. objects and women are sex objects, right? So I mean, if you boil it down to that, and those aren't my words, those are the words of Dr. Warren Farrell, who, by the way, supported feminist movements for I think it was well over forty years, and he started to realize after a while that women are not oppressed. He realized that men are actually viewed by women as success objects, and women are viewed by men as sex objects. So when men are swiping on dating apps, we're doing it exclusively on the looks basis. I couldn't care less if she's got five pieces of paper on the wall framed in mahogany with little letters after them saying she's an accountant, a lawyer, and a doctor. It doesn't matter to me. Women don't share their pot of gold with men. Men do, though. Like Men are more than happy to share their pot of gold with women. So let's go into red flags. So now you're out dating, you're meeting women, you have 20 red flags. We don't have to go into all of these. They're in the book, The Unplugged Alpha, which is available, right? Yeah, it's available on Amazon right now as a Kindle or print. Okay, cool. So I got to be really selective with which ones I want to talk about, but because there's so many I do. Let's talk about... I just thought this one was was funny. Heavily tattooed and pierced women. You put that as a red flag. Yep. Why that? Now, I do... The reason why I think it's funny is because I think I know what you're thinking here with this. But it's... I, I just got to hear it from you. So what are you thinking here with that? Why is that a red flag? Well, you'll find that most guys are not attracted to women with that have mutilated their bodies because that's really what it boils down to. You know, if you go around destroying your body, I mean, you know, there's two sides of the coins. A couple of my friends would be like, oh, some of the best sex I've ever had was, has been with heavily tattooed and pierced women that smoke cigarettes and have thumb rings, right? You know, they always have this like sequen- sequence of events. Cool. So do that, but don't marry them, right? So when I put the red flag chapter together, it's really for guys to have some, have some frame around, look, if you want to invite a woman into your inner circle, meaning getting into a long-term relationship or maybe having kids with her or something along those lines, you want to vet for red flags and keep them on the outside, keep them on the perimeter, maybe limit them to just a dating uh, scenario or like friends with benefits, but nothing more than that. Women with red flags will invite drama into your life. It's got a lot of narratives behind it. You've, you've probably heard guys say something like, you know, tattoos all over a beautiful woman is like putting bumper stickers all over a Lamborghini. It just doesn't show taste, right? And there's others who say, well, it's art. You know, it's beautiful. Okay, well, that might be your perspective, but I can tell you on a balance of probabilities, if you take a woman that's caked from head to toe in tattoos and another woman that's not, you're going to find the one that's caked with tattoos or, or has lots of tattoos and, and, and piercings to bring other red flags that are in that chapter. Might be daddy issues, might be borderline personality disorder. She might, 
do other things to mutilate her body. She might be a violent type of chick, but they're all closely correlated and associated. Now, the funny thing is, is if you tweet that out, you know, something like, hey guys, there's five women that you should avoid dating and you put like tattooed women in there, the internet will lose its mind. It, it, it completely breaks down because how dare you say anything that might be viewed as disparaging about women's choices. But it's okay for women to point and sputter at guys today now, right? What would a woman say on the opposite end about a guy where we'd be like, where, where no one would bat an eye? Well, see, when it comes to tattoos, like tattooing is more of a masculine behavior, right? Uh, like men throughout history have almost always tattooed themselves. It's why guys do better with women when they're like the alpha chad riding a motorcycle with like a sleeve tat. Like women just dig that because it signals strength, it signals masculinity, it signals alpha cred sort of thing. But women are, are, are starting to behave more and more like men today and the lines start to blur. And this is one of the toxic narratives that the toxic version of feminism is teaching women is be more like men, right? Put off childbearing years and go get your degree so that you, so that you too can become a doctor, lawyer, accountant, or whatever. And then that's why you see a lot of these women on dating apps at 39 that are like just salivating to find a guy to put a baby in her and wife her up. And it's like, well, you put off your entire best years getting your degree, partying, riding the carousel, you know, traveling around the world doing your thing. You know, you can't be mad at guys for where you're at today. What about the unhappy and the unlucky? What do you mean by that as a red flag? Yeah, that's, um, you know, and I cite uh, Robert Greene on that from 48 Laws of Power, but you invite a woman that's constantly unhappy and unlucky into your life, she's going to, you know, she's going to bring you down. It's absolutely going to happen. You know, if she shows up every day and she's complaining about Becky from HR or, you know, the part-timer that's driving her nuts in this department at work, and then you're listening to her just just chirp on for hours about how shitty her life is and how unlucky she is. And okay, fine. You know, if, if that's her choice, if that's the way that she wants to go about life, cool. I just would not invite her into my inner circle. I would not date her. I would not get into a long-term relationship or wife her up. You know, you got to look for these red flags when you're dealing with women. I'm not saying that you can't. I'm not saying that you can't date a woman that's tatted up and is unhappy and unlucky or has any of the other red flags. But just know that if you do, if you invite her into your life, you're not going to have the best possible experience as a guy. And if you do marry a chick like that, the chances of you getting married go up exponentially. Like one of the red flags in the chapter is women with a high notch count, meaning she slept with a lot of guys. And if she slept with a lot of guys in her life and she lost her virginity at a very young age, Again, you know, statistically speaking, we're talking based on studies. I'm not making this up like this is my opinion, but based on studies, women that have a lower notch count and loss of virginity later on in life are far happier in a long-term relationship and have the ability to pair bond in a healthy way to a guy. Whereas a woman that's, you know, slept with a hundred guys through her college years and rode the carousel and partied and, and traveled around and, you know, hooked up with threesomes and foursomes and maybe is bisexual. She's going to have a real hard time settling down and forming a healthy pair bond to one guy. Because when things go sideways or when there's stress that's introduced into the relationship, well, she's used from going from one guy to the other to the other. So her default response is going to be, F it. I'm just going to move on to the next guy and I'll just go on. Got it. Yeah, no, I mean, at the end of the day, if it's you know backed up in some of these data points, it's worth looking into. Yeah, that's and, for sure. And I cite them all, you know, like, None of this is my opinion. This is all based on, well, this is all based on a lot of conversations that I've had with a ton of guys, my own experience, a lot of the Evo psych books that I've read, and then 
a lot of what the red pill has been saying for decades now, really. I mean, it's okay. Women aren't sugar and spice and all things nice. They're just women. There's some good ones and there's some bad ones, but there's no unicorns. There's no one. Like one of the notions that you'll see a lot of the time in some men's groups, and I'm in a few on Facebook. I'll, I'll just be a fly in the wall. And there's always some guy in some like, you know, struggling Facebook group. And he's like, Hey guys, I think I found the one. And they'll go and post a picture of him and this chick. And, you know, he's a, you know, divorced dad and she's got like five kids in tow that she's bringing into the equation. You're like, Oh God, this guy's marching right into the slaughterhouse thinking that this is the one, you know, there is no one, you know, there's some good ones and there's some bad ones, but there is no one. Let's talk about. You have a chapter here on hire slowly, but fire quickly. What's funny about that is I said that to someone literally within the past couple of weeks, not ever taking it from this book. So it's something that I've said separately. And I definitely agree with. So I want to hear what you have to say about that. What does that mean? Hire slowly, but fire quickly. I think it's something that you can apply to hiring employees, uh, inviting friends into your inner circle getting involved with women on an intimate basis or maybe marrying them. I think that you need to take your time to really see what somebody's all about. And when they show you what they're all about, believe them. And if they're a potential threat to you, your health, your family's health, maybe your financial resources, any of those things, then you need to be able to fire quickly. You need to get rid of them very, very quickly and not second guess it. So I talk in that chapter... I think from two different angles, I talk about my own business experience um, as it applied to me as I, as I took care of hiring and firing in the years that I ran my business and also as it applies to relationships. I talk specifically about my relationship with a single mom and how her uh, kids would get out of line from time to time, often you know, in some cases in a bratty way that would be you know, detrimental. And I kept tolerating it when I shouldn't have. So You have to kind of hone the skill as a guy of paying attention to people's behaviors and watching what they're all about, which is the higher slowly part. Meaning, you know, if you're going to get married to somebody, you know, for example, how many guys have you seen out there that have had like the whirlwind wedding where they met, you know, five, six months ago and they get married right away and they barely even know each other? Dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's really dangerous. And, and, you know, marriage is a uh, difficult contract to untie the knot on, and it comes with you know significant consequences on the exit. So, I think that men need to hone that skill of hiring slowly. And when you see what somebody's all about, and if they're a problem, get rid of them without any remorse. I uh, I want to tell a quick story related to that. So, someone a, f- a friend of mine is just did that. So I gave him the advice. I'm like, fire, you know, like break up like it's over. But let me explain what happened. For the first two months, which is not a very long time, but for the first two months, everything was going great. Smooth, uh, no problems, you know, and and I hung out with my friend and and he said, you know, everything's going great. And I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Everything he said about her sounds like a great woman. Maybe this is someone that will end up getting into a very long-term relationship, maybe even marriage. Who knows? Let's see. And then Literally a couple days later, which is funny, a couple days later, there was a little bit of an incident. She was drinking, she was smoking, and she had like a little bit of a, a freak out. It wasn't anything crazy, but it was just like, what's going on here? Like, did a little too much of the partying and had to exit the room and leave the room and go downstairs and like call someone and then came back up 
And my friend was like, are you okay? Like, is everything all right? And she's like, yeah. And she was just kind of acting weird. Uh, long story short, she got a little too wasted and was acting really strange. And right away, that was a red flag. This wasn't like, oh, they've been dating for years and everything's been fine. And then this was something that happened. And you know, we were talking about it. We were going through it. It's a little bit of a trigger for this person to have someone that they're dating that is, you know, just can get to that level. And so he told her, hey, listen, I need a little bit of time to just process this because he wasn't sure if he wanted to continue with her. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just need a little bit of space. And he's busy anyways doing things. He's working on his, his, you know, his purpose and his career and all that stuff. He's just give me some time. Give me a few days. And she went, went a little nuts and was texting him the meanest things ever, mm-hmm. which is now making it more solid that this is a woman that he should not be with. And then get this, this just happened recently, is he started to ignore her and said like, yeah, it's best that maybe we just we're done here. You're right. Because she was like, fuck you, da, 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 da. And he ended it. And... Then she like texted him, not not a lot, just a couple things more, and he just ignored it. And then she sent him a box with a few of his things, and then a uh, bag of dog shit, and <laughs> um, and and all this like weird stuff in it. And he called me up and he goes, "This is insane," and he was scared. And yeah. I go, "Listen, you don't have to be scared. It's fine. Like she's just giving your stuff back, and she's very angry." But I said, "Boy, oh boy." I'm glad that you fired quickly and you dodged a bullet. And let's not take these little signs lightly. And then, by the way, the next day, she texted him and said, uh, or no, messaged him on Facebook because he blocked her on text. And she said, hey, I want to apologize. (laughs) Like, I shouldn't have done that. By the way, this is all after him not responding to anything that she's been doing, which, of course, makes someone feel a little bit more uh, crazy. But, I mean, wow. So... So that's one of the red flags in my book is hissy fits. So when women throw hissy fits, like they're not able to process their emotion in a mature um, adult-like manner, they'll throw a hissy fit. I mean, they'll basically default to childlike programming and completely have a spaz out like that. You know, it's funny because as you were describing the uh, box of stuff that showed up with the dog shit, I was thinking about a story that you know my ex had told me when I first started dating her that I ignored, which was also a red flag which is something that I should have paid more attention to. And she said something along the lines of when she found out that her first boyfriend, when she was like uh, 16 or or 15 or something like that, cheated on her, she stole his bike, took it apart in little pieces, spent an entire day ripping the bike apart you know, in her dad's garage and put it in a box and sent it back to him. That's not normal. That's not how adults you know, behave when they've got acrimony, when they've got difficulty. That is a hissy fit. So, you know, setting aside the fact that she was probably banging at 15 and lost her virginity early and, you know, she, she found out something that she didn't like. So she stole his bike and took it apart. Like if you pay attention to what women say, plus what they're doing, there's lots of data coming in. The problem is, is that most guys are like, oh, she's pretty and she's giving me attention. She has nice boobies. So I'm going to go have some sexy time. And they don't pay attention to, you know, the potential red flags that could, you know, even destroy their life, you know? Yeah. Yep, exactly. So you got to pay attention to those. And you got 20 of them in your book, The Unplugged Alpha. Richard, this was a great conversation. It was great to finally have you on. I wanted to have you on almost like a year ago, even before you wrote yeah, the book. But, yeah. but we waited till now, which was fine and interesting because we got to dive into a little bit of, of what you wrote here. So thanks for doing this. 
And is there any last words? No, just grab the book. It's available on Amazon, uh, The Unplugged Alpha. It's in the dating category. The subtitle is The No Bullshit Guide to to Winning with Women and Life. Uh, If you enjoy it, please leave a review on uh, Amazon. It helps me out a ton. And if you want to catch some of my free content, uh, head over to YouTube to Entrepreneurs in Cars. Um, There's a YouTube channel there. There's close to a thousand videos, lots of well-organized playlists. So yeah, you can check that out as well. Sweet. Awesome, Richard. Thanks so much. We'll put that link in the show notes and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rick.